Uh, Ryan Hossa. Add him to the call. There it is. I was like, geez, Louise. All right. It's, it's uh, Skype recorder is recording. Cool. Ryan. Okay. Yeah. Terrence sounds like a million bucks. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> yeah. And, and you sound horrible. No, I'm kidding. Um, so. What? We have Bane with us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Wi Fi is not very good in the pit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you had DSL before you got out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you don't like the Drake. I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. Do you like the Drake? I love the Drake. Hello everyone, welcome to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake Comic Podcast. This podcast will take a chronological look at the third Robin, Tim Drake. We will be looking at the classic 90s 2000 Robin series and other notable comics with Tim in that era, while also simultaneously taking a look at Tim in the modern era as Red Robin in the pages of DC Comics, plus other Robin and Batman happenings in the world. So sit back, relax, and find out why everyone loves the Drake. Good for them. Love the Drake. Got to love the Drake. I'm impressed. What can I say? I'm irresistible. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake. This is episode 62. I'm your host, Rob Myers. This podcast is brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. We're out there on social media, wherever you can look up Robin. Everyone loves the Drake. Twitter, Instagram, which I am doing better at Instagram. Terrence is also doing a really jo- good job at Instagram, being the uh, podcast official photographer, editor. Um, <laughs> so uh, you can see all his doings, which I'm sure some have uh, piled up. And we got a full house today. Uh, we have returning with us is Ryan Haas from going abroad into baby land and work land. So uh, how has uh, life been uh, treating you so far, sir? It's been pretty good. Um, I, luckily, I've been able to, to hop off of the the, the live train for a couple times this weekend and do my what is actually going to be my third podcast this weekend. Uh, but I'm glad to be here and I'm glad to be back on the on the Drake podcast. Excellent. Cool. And Terrence, uh, how's your photography skills been? It's going good. I, I, jo- I joined uh, I joined Snapchat, and my kids were showing me these new features on it where I could like edit stuff. And I decided to put you, Rob, uh, in all kinds of places. And we were just kind of trying to think what what funny place could we put Rob with next? And so those some of those are up on the Facebook page if you'd like to see Rob in all kinds. But you're on the moon landing. You're yeah. hanging out with Kiss. You were at the death of Superman. <laughs> Death of Robin, all kinds of fun stuff. I said what what needs to happen next is these pictures need to turn into the Rob Myers version of Brody Quest. If you've ever seen Brody <laughs> Quest on YouTube, yes. I yeah. want to see that now. Yeah, that's just the, you know Rob moving across things. Yeah, it's just amazing. <laughs> that's gonna be our uh, our our new uh, shtick for 2018. We're working up. It's the, <laughs> it's the Rob Quest. <laughs> Where in the world has Terrence put Rob? Um, yeah. Apparently, I've wound up in a girl's locker room. I showed that, yes, picture, yeah. I showed that picture to my wife, and she was like, okay, you guys have way too much free time. <laughs> yeah. I said, no, no, 
Terrence has too much free time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but before we get started here, uh, a good friend of the show, Ashley Crock, who also does the Red Robin Facebook fan page, and something that I saw him uh, put up, which uh, will kind of be our opening uh, topic here, is uh, continuity. And with, of course, Rebirth going on, and more importantly with Tim in the only place of dying, uh, we know that they've retconned or re would you call it a retcon because they changed it back but uh, either way however you want to cut that a a (laughs) re-retcon a a (laughs) re-retcon where tim's uh history has been reset uh back to his original origin which is great but he brought up a uh a wonderful comic book discussion that we all like to have sometimes is what am i supposed to remember what am i supposed to forget is tim's parents still alive and they witness protection does going back to the old continuity now negate everything in the new 52 how much are we Boy, I hope to so yeah i i hope so too but <laughs> i think the the kind of maybe the opening topic before we get to our discussion here uh just for a little bit is as a comic book fan or even a movie fan uh, what type of like do you want a lot of continuity like all these characters are existing in this world even though they make a mention of superman you go oh okay great we even though he's not on screen we know in the superman movie that batman and superman have worked together or in like comic books are we supposed to go all right this is the continuity that we're going with until they tell us otherwise or do you do you want to have it all spelled out for you um it's kind of a really broad question start with uh ryan this is is an interesting topic but you know over the years being a comic book fan and reading comics you know of of all different times and and multiverses you know i some wise person once said that continuity is a state of mind and i think that you've got to kind of uh accept that fact you know if you're going to be a comic book fan because there there is so much of it there's so many issues there's so many over so many years and every story can't take into account everything that's ever happened <laughs> or will happen in it or, or your stories will just come to a halt so and the other thing to keep in mind is that you know comic books you know the audience is split in such a way where you know, it might be somebody's first issue of Detective Comics or, you know, a thousandth issue of Detective Comics. And each of those people might have different things that they want to get out of the continuity even. So for me, when I read a story, it, it just depends. It, like if the story hinges on the continuity, like, uh, like uh, you know, the new Detective Comics arc, like if it if it's about that, then they need to get the continuity right. If it doesn't matter, then it doesn't really matter. And I can kind of fill in the blanks as I see fit um, to where it kind of makes sense to me. So it just kind of depends on the story and and how they're using or not using the continuity. Terrence? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm kind of a continuity nerd um, or, or, or big nerd. So it, it's really important to me. I think part of it, was growing up, you know, in the the 80s, like TV shows that I loved, like Star Trek or even Star Trek The Next Generation or uh, (laughs) stuff that happened on one episode was never mentioned or brought up or talked about again. And and each each like episode was really self-contained in in, whether it was cartoons or, um, you know, shows like Star Trek. And then, you know, somewhere around like the late 80s, 90s, we started to get into shows where where that have like running storylines throughout. And I remember like one of my favorite shows from the 80s was Doctor Who. And they had like a storyline if if you're a Doctor Who fan with the Tom Baker doctor where um, 
it like it continued from story after story. They were like hunting the galaxy, looking for something. And that just blew my mind that it was like the same thing from each episode. But um, when I started reading comics, gotcha. one of the things that the, the Marvel people would always kind of bash the DC people for was the fact that Marvel never had a reboot at at that point and they would always be like every one of our stories is in continuity every one of our stories is is in there and dc had a bunch of um uh reboots at that point and the crisis and everything so i i kind of liked how they had story arc where every time there was something out of continuity it was because superboy primate was punching the wall <laughs> right, right, and, right and made it which it, which I like that because at least it kind of like acknowledged it and tried to. Well, that's you know, part of it too. And you know, Jeff Johns is great at being able to kind of use even use bad continuity and make turn it into good continuity. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So so for me, it was it's important, and uh, I, I find it jarring, and then I find it takes you out of the story, and then I find you just have less interest in the story and less. You're not bought into it as much for me, anyway. So, so for me, continuity is really important. Yeah, and I, I think I agree with with both of uh, what you guys were saying. That I think in the, the case where maybe Ashley is talking about, you know, we're reintroducing Tim back into, you know, rebirth again after a year's absence, and when he comes back, in his origins different. So your mind automatically goes into the '90s of like what Tim's origin was. But how much is it getting infused? And he and I were chatting back and forth, and I think I was kind of like, I'm just going to kind of go with it until something is blatantly changed, then that will change the course right. of, I don't want to get too much hung up. Is, is one parent dead? Is both parents dead? You know, are they witness protection? I'm just going to go with what's been set in stone until they <laughs> wash the stone clean. So I thought that'd be a fun little topic to kind of go through. And Ashley, if you're listening, maybe that kind of set your mind at ease a little bit. Cause I know he said like, I'm just going crazy trying to think about what's happening. I'm like, I'm just concerned that or happy that Tim is just, being brought back in and we're not getting one tim it sounds like we're getting two i think because of who's at the helm james tinney in the fourth i yeah. think i have faith that all that will be flushed out if this was just some mini series or this happened in like issue four of dark knight's metal or something i'd be a lot more worried about it or but, issue uh, zero of teen titans <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> right so i think just all of us Drake fans are really happy that we saw some very familiar uh, Tim Drake moments, and um, the Zero issue can just pretend like it never, ever happened. So I think that's where we'll put a button on our topic, and we will get into episode 62 of the show, and we'll be looking at our second uh, half coverage of Prodigal, uh, going through the pages of Batman Detective and Shadow and Robin. We'll see you guys on the other side.
Robin, number 11, cover date November 1994. On sale date October 4th, 1994, cover price $1.50. The editor is Dennis J. O'Neill. The story, Two in Every Crowd. The writer is Chuck Dixon. The penciler is Phil Jimenez. The inker is Raymond Kersing. The letter is Albert Tobias D. Gunsman. The colorist is Adrian Roy. And the cover credits go to penciler Tom Grummet and the inker Raymond Kersing. Robin 11. Tim Drake wakes up from a nightmare. His nightmare is going to school in his Robin costume. When Tim wakes up, his dad is wanting to go on another fishing trip. The thing that Tim wished for for so long is here. Time with his parents. Or parent. But now it comes with a price. Being Robin. Where to choose. Across Gotham, Two-Face plans his revenge on Robin, the thorn in his side, and crippling the judicial system that failed him so long ago. Later that day, Tim sheepishly goes to see Ari to see if their relationship is really in fact over. Ari forgives Tim, twice, for brushing her off, and more importantly, for falling asleep on their last date, and agrees to go out with Tim again later. Later that night, Batman and Robin round up some thugs while Two-Face kills a room full of attorneys, the first step in his plan. Dick contemplates why Bruce was always distancing himself from things while working on a case. Dick wants to be in the thick of it. Tim says not to put too much pressure on himself. Tim knows that Dick is replaying his first run-in with Two-Face and hopes that Dick can shake it. Batman and Robin track down Two-Face's whereabouts at the court docket department, just as Two-Face is getting ready to destroy the computer bank system with a large chainsaw. All right, welcome back, everyone. And uh, let's just uh, fire right off the bat here. So looking at Robin 11 here, a really cool cover. And when I bought the issue way back when, I thought, all right, you know, we've got the fourth part of Prodigal, and we have the wonderful Tom uh, Lyle, uh, or excuse me, Tom Grummet uh, cover here. And we open up the book, and it's Phil Jimenez. Uh, so this is the first time, well, actually second time now in the Robin series where we've changed uh, artists. Um, Grummet will go to do more of the covers, and the interior art will change. So uh, just looking at the cover and then just the overall uh, art with Phil uh, Jimenez, I'll kind of kick it to you guys. What do you think of the cover, and just what do you think of the uh, overall art of the story? Uh, let's kick it over to Terrence. Yeah, the cover's cool. It's like classic Tom Grummet, and it actually is something that happens within the story. You just don't realize that it's a mannequin and not the real <laughs> live Tim Drake. Uh-huh. Uh, the filament is art. At this point, we've seen it a few times, so um, I kind of liked it as the fill-in artist. Uh, and in um, issue 16, where the letter columns are, somebody uh, made a, a point. I have to figure out who that was here. Josh Gilbert um, from Troy, New York, mentioned that um, – Phil Jimenez's artwork looks a lot like George Perez's and like he's inspired by that. And he even uh, makes the point that it looks like he could be reading a, a 10 to 14 year old issue of the new Teen Titans. Uh, and I did. I definitely see a lot of uh, George Perez influence in the art. So I, I did like this art. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool cover. And I, I, I always like any time that you get a comic book cover where they you know, extend their boundaries a little bit and make things shoot past or over the the name, you know, the title treatment. Yeah, because it just it just is uh, adds an extra layer of dynamicism to it, and it's it's just a cool cover. And 
Two Face has been a character that's been building up for a, a little bit in the storyline too. So to see him on the cover, you're like, oh, is this when he's finally you know starts confronting uh, Batman and Robin, and uh, <laughs> we find out in this issue. <laughs> yeah, um, one of the first things that I like in the universe, like. In the comic universe, they don't normally reference themselves. It seems funny to be reading a Batman comic and see a Batman poster on the wall. And I, like Terrence just said earlier about, you know, it's not a real story, but, you know, you see Batman posters and, you know, even the room that I'm in or, you know, a marquee for Justice League, you know, coming up. But uh, in the issue uh, for Tim's nightmare as he's having it, you know, we've all had the nightmare of uh, going to school in, in your Robin outfit. I think that'd be a, a fun thing, but uh, I get Tim's nightmare. But the funnier thing, I think, is Tim waking up in a Superman costume and seeing a Batman poster uh, on his wall, does that does that ever take you guys out of it when they're referencing themselves in the universe? Because you would think, okay, I guess a teenager like Tim would probably look up to a superhero, so it wouldn't be that out of the ordinary to wear a Superman shirt. But you know that Tim has actually seen the real Superman, so would it be something where Clark Kent's like, ugh, you're wearing a Superman shirt? Does that bother you guys when you see something like that, uh, Terrence? No, I actually like it, because I do think, you know, if these superheroes existed, there would be even more merch, which is hard to believe a universe with more super <laughs> superhero merch than the one we live in. Um, and I think even in uh, Super Sons or, or uh, in the Superman, the new run, mm-hmm. I believe... Uh, Superboy got his like um, his jacket off the rack. I think he bought it somewhere. Um, <laughs> and and I like it. And um, quick note on the uh, Phil Hermenis art. He he does uh, this issue. He does twelve. He co does the art in thirteen. Then they're back to Grummet for fifteen. And in the letter column for sixteen, we find out that that's Grummet's last issue is fifteen. So we get Grummet a lot on the covers, but he's only actually got one more Robin issue uh, with us. And one of the letter columns, this is by Michelle E. Collier, um, she wrote that uh, when about Tim, when his life gets in some semblance of order, maybe we can have our dreams come true and see Tim dream of going to school dot 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 naked exclamation point. So, <laughs> there's definitely a, a Tim fan base uh, in Just asking for this. His, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they got they got the shower scene and now they want uh Tim they just want more. They want Jesus. full frontal Tim, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan. Yeah, I, it's it doesn't bother me too much when, when other superhero paraphernalia shows up uh, in another per- person's book. But to me, it just it, it just needs to make sense. And here it does, just because Tim is Robin and he's kind of, you know, like a junior partner, and I'm sure he looks up to, you know, people uh you know in, in the superhero uh, club, as it were, but you know, I, it made me think. Like, is this is Superman back in continuity right now? Like, was there a purpose, another alternative purpose? Because, you know, for a while there, they were wearing you know the the Superman wristbands yeah. <laughs> when when he died in back in Nightfall. So that's what that's what made me think of it uh, originally. Yeah, I think by this point, Bruce is back, and Superman was back before Bruce was. So I think we are into the mullet era of Superman right now. So. Uh, this could be just a tip of the hat to, you know, readers. Hey, so, you know, Clark Kent's back, and you know, everybody would be probably happy about that. I did want to comment really quickly on 
Tim's nightmare, and it's probably delving into more of his psyche of him trying to compartmentalize his life between school, superhero, being a son, um, having mm-hmm. a, new, a new Batman again. So I thought that was uh, a little, a nice little layer. What'd you guys think about just that as a whole? Right. It, it it sets the stage for what Tim's feeling and what he's going to be up against, which you know is always a really good hallmark of, of the Robin series and and uh, Chuck Dixon's work on it in particular. He always tends to open his issues with either an action scene or something like this, where that kind of really gets you into the mind of the character right away. And uh, and I thought that was kind of a good way to do it. Something that I thought was interesting was that he's he's internalizing what he's feeling and why he's becoming Robin. Like, you see next to his computer, it looks like he's saved maybe a, a news article or something about the Huntress. It made me think of maybe was was this before, was this originally when he teamed up with Huntress a few issues back? And yeah. he's like, is he saving mementos of things that he's done as Robin or something? <laughs> or does he just like the Huntress? I just thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, Terrence? Yeah, you know, I, I can kind of relate because trying to juggle like a job, uh, you know, family, try to fit in a podcast, read all my comic books. Right. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not enough time in the day. And, uh, you know, I like this, how he always wanted to be Robin. He always wanted his dad to be there with him. Now he's got both and can't handle both. And, you know, he wants both. But, you know, what can he do? So I really like it. And on this second page. Uh, or third page of the book, second panel, right in the middle. Tim's like getting out of bed. His feet are over the side. Is that uh, Starfire on the poster, or is that just some random girl in a bikini? Or, or uh, I'm not sure. Do you see the poster I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah. yeah, it made me think of like a rant, like a like a Farrah Fawcett poster or yeah. whatever. Okay, yeah. Well, so anyway, I know Tim's got a thing for Starfire. So, right. <laughs> as we saw in Lonely Place of Dying when he was watching her shower. Yeah. <laughs> Silly old Tim. Uh, Terrence did made mention, kind of going through the book here on page five of the dummy, which I always think this is funny. They they set up the shot of like, oh my gosh, Robin just got shot, and like, oh, it's just a dummy. But what a store accurate costume that Two Face has got to go. No, the costume looks has to look exactly like this. The mannequin has to look real. Um, I think that's yeah. always just that's funny. Uh, in some way, but I go, that's that's an awful lot of detail that you're going to go to to just shoot this thing up. So I just kind of wanted to point out, do you guys have any comment on that <laughs> that at all, uh, Ryan? You know, it's not something that I thought too much of, but, but it, it instantly plays into the whole uh, idea of maybe there's more superhero merchandise in this world just because <laughs> they really exist. And so maybe there is like the Robin store, you know, where, <laughs> where he can find like somebody that's made a replica or something. Uh, Terrence? Yeah, and, you know, I'll mention this because this is our first look at Two-Face. So this, you know, four issues we're looking at today have three different writers, but yet I thought Two-Face was pretty consistent throughout all four books and done really well. Like, there's nothing I hate more with Two-Face than the Tommy Lee Jones Two-Face of, I'm going to flip my coin, but then... Until I get what I want. Yeah, Yeah. until I get what I want, or, oh, I don't like it, so I'll just shoot him anyway. What the heck? You know, like, I I like where Two-Face is psychologically damaged, that he's tied to the coin, but yet there's a choice, and the whole binary ones and zeros on-off, I thought thought they did that really well. I I thought that was very clever with ones and zeros, his duality, tied to the coin like every decision like you're right every decision that two-face makes everything is tied together and i think dixon's writing in this and then also in detective really puts the pin on each end of dick and tim trying to figure it out the whole way through and aren't 
able to see those signs right away, but it makes perfect sense to Two-Face. I thought that was really, really pretty cool. Um, we do see uh, Ariana get brought back in uh, to Tim's life, and it uh, seems like Tim gets a really quick pass at uh, falling asleep, and uh, you know he makes the apology for falling asleep, and then she calls him out on, you know, what was the last thing I talked about? And I like how Tim just owns up to, like, I, I, I don't know. Uh, this is where I think uh, Dixon really shines as a writer, getting the, uh, I don't feel... And no offense, Chuck, if you're listening, <laughs> I don't feel like this is a 50 year old person or 40 year old person writing, like trying to write kind of like Scott Lobdell would. Like, I'm going to try and write how teenagers think. Like, Chuck is tied right in and has the voices for these two characters. And I feel like, oh, yeah, this this would be a conversation I would have had with a girlfriend in high school. Like, yeah, I wasn't paying attention. Um, just kind of talk on, uh, <laughs> you know, Chuck uh, Dixon there, uh, Terrence. Yeah, agreed. Like when we interviewed Chuck Dixon, he said one of the things he does is he doesn't use slang. Um, so even if he had the slang down perfectly for 1994, it would sound really bad reading it in 2017. Um, although one slang, I forgot to mention this on the last page, the the one guy, and I'm not sure if he's the guy who gets hung later on because he doesn't say it, but he, he refers Ralphie. Yeah, <laughs> he, he refers to uh, Two-Face's hatred for for Tim Drake, as he says, you've got a hell of a mad on for the kid Two Face, <laughs> and I remember reading that. Yeah. That was the first time I ever heard that phrase "mad on," which you don't hear very often. But I don't know, was that a thing, or did Chuck Dixon invent that? <laughs> but it just made me think that it's a, it's a, you know, a light. It's it's a replacing something else that somebody would say okay, that, that yeah. would work in a comic book. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, <laughs> but to answer your question, Rob, the dialogue and the, it feels very authentic as teenagers. Yeah, uh, Ryan. Yeah, I you know I I completely agree, and that's you know finding the voice of characters, especially the the younger characters, is something that Dixon just does really well. And but at this point, this you know he's he's written a lot of issues of Robin, so he knows exactly what he's kind of doing here. Uh, kind of skipping ahead a little bit, uh, I've got a note here for Chuck Dixon's humor, and since Ryan brought up Ralphie, uh, something that I really like is the the subtle way that uh, Dixon can put in humor where it's not jokey jokey where uh two-face comes right into the room after uh, gassing everything and uh telling ralphie uh you're you're annoying me ralphie just those those little bits of humor and the dialogue i think are are very good uh something i wanted to bring up is two-face's plan for taking out the judicial system in early reading this i thought oh that's kind of a, a bold plan but that's actually really kind of smart if you're you know, want to take out the the lawyers and the judges and the cops and everything out altogether. Um, it it seems like a well laid out plan where most of the time the criminals are like, oh, we're going to knock over a bank or I'm going to kill this one lawyer. That Two Face is wanting to go and just try and take out as many as they as he possibly can to really upheave the justice system. I thought was. Um, Kind of ingenious a little bit. I didn't feel like this was the, oh, it's the typical trope that the bad guy is going to use. Um, I, I thought this was, you know, kudos for Chuck. So what did you guys think of uh, just Two-Face's overall plan and how he wants to move going uh, forward, uh, Ryan? You know what it reminded me of was would be like if you took the plot of The Dark Knight and then shoved it through the Two-Face as a villain filter. Yeah. You know, that's what it made me think of. You know, like in The Dark Knight, we see them try to manipulate the system to get criminals 
walked away. Well, here we see a criminal trying to manipulate the system and get all the criminals back out on the streets. And that's, you know, I thought that was kind of an interesting parallel. Uh, Terrence. Yeah, I, you know, I can't remember what I thought when I first read it, but reading it today, I thought, wow, this is really ahead of its time for a book that's, what, 22, 23 years old. It's kind of ripped right out of the headlines of, like, Russian hacking and yeah. uh, North Korea trying to hack our, our system and how uh, a lot of governments and systems and, and cities are so vulnerable through um, – and corporations are, are vulnerable through hacking – yeah, uh, or so, you see like the voter fraud type stuff we're having, mm-hmm. yeah, multiple yeah. people registered for things, yeah. Yeah, so so I thought that was really, really great. And I like how the idea for it came out of the fact that he – it was kind of – we were joking about it last time, the, like the little glitch of um, somebody else's name was – what was it? Harvey Kent, Kent instead Harvey of Harvey Kent. Dent. But that got him thinking about the ones and zeros, which got him thinking about how the system could be you know taken advantage of through that. So – and it felt really kind of organic that way. So, so I, yeah, I, th- I thought it was fantastic. A note I have here, uh, Bruce – uh, distancing, that's a hard word to say today, Rob, himself from a situation. This is something uh, Dick never understood. Uh, the question I have for you guys is Dick asking, I don't understand why Bruce had to uh, distance himself from the situation, or is he saying Bruce had to distance himself from a situation to understand it? I don't understand why he did. I'm not going to distance myself from it, so I understand it more. Um, is this... Uh, a trope that Dick is having a problem with, or is it more of Dick had a problem with Bruce trying to remove himself from it so he could think clearer? It's kind of a loaded question, uh, Ryan. It's that is an interesting question because, you know, to me it has to be him um, doing that. Like maybe distance is what Batman himself did, um, and but but but. Dick saying that he never got the hang of that is kind of interesting because that's exactly what he did. He tur- <laughs> he he became Nightwing and he left for years, you know. Um, so to me, it it had to be a little bit more of uh, a reflection on on Batman himself than than Dick, I guess. Terrence. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say because Bruce is written so different in so many different ways, but I could see how. Um, he, he would be a difficult father figure to have for these two guys. And that there's definitely um, the feeling of like, you know, um, just something emotional comes up. Bruce is just going to turn away from it and throw himself into the, the bat suit and beat people up. Kind of kind of like what they did in uh, the Killing Joke movie. I know that's not very popular, but when, <laughs> when he when he got kind of close with Batgirl there on the rooftop, and then all of a sudden he became real distant, yeah. you know, jerk. You know, I, he's written that way sometimes. Moving into page seventeen, this is something I joked on uh, Twitter the <laughs> other day for any people that are following it. Uh, Batman doesn't have a head <laughs> yeah. uh, in this photo. Where I was like, okay, it's the panel before, but it was so off-putting. I had I remembered it being there as I was reading it. And every once in a while, I'll see something like, okay, I get that they wanted the panel below to have the whole city be the whole entire thing. But it just looks so odd without his head being there. And uh, there were uh, quite a few of us going back and forth doing bad puns about, you know, uh, getting ahead of the situation. Uh, Don't lose your head (laughs) while you're fighting crime. So thank you to all uh, the Twitterers out there (laughs) chiming in on that. Did you guys pick that up uh, at all? Or was it like, oh, holy crap, after I uh, pointed it out? 
It's weird. It's, you know, it must have been a printing error because, you know, I'm reading this out of the, the Knight's the Knight's End trade mm-hmm. and the head he does have a head. Oh really? Oh really? Yes. <laughs> yes. I did not know that. I'm gonna text this to you. I'm gonna text this to you guys right now. Yeah. Oh wow. So it was when I saw it it was jarring. I I hadn't seen your text or your tweet or wherever you had put it there, Rob. And so when I was reading it this you know, it's weird because the building below it is going like into the neck and stuff. So it just looks <laughs> awful. Yeah. Yeah, something happened. Once, once you see the image, I just sent it. You'll see that something must have happened with the the way that the layers were made, or something. Maybe they they had it in a computer at this point. Something was just <laughs> missing, and well, they got sent to print with uh, with a missing head. Yeah. So as you guys are uh, listening to this, uh, there, there's the head. That is so. That is so bizarre. Yeah, it's clearly there. That had to have been something. As they were going back through, somebody in editing was like, hey, we didn't give him a head here. So uh, that'll definitely be up for you guys when the show drops. I'll put these two images so you can find them on uh, the uh, Facebook page and uh, Instagram. So that's the only reason I stopped there. Um, one of the other notes that I have here is uh, Two-Face and his chainsaw a la All-Star Batman. I thought, wow, why does that seem familiar? So it wasn't really a no as much as a, you know, I know we like to say, oh, talking about continuity, the, did Snyder go back to this moment and go, there was an issue of Robin where Two-Face had a chainsaw. So I'm going to put that in All-Star Batman. I thought that was uh, um, just just something funny as a, a casual reader since I had recently finished up All-Star Batman. Uh, the uh, final page here of Batman and Robin coming in to uh, fight Two-Face, I think is a beautiful, beautiful shot here. Uh, it's eerily lit after Two-Face is uh, trying to uh, chainsaw his way through computers and everything, but I think this is a, a really cool uh, final image here. Just I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on this uh, first issue we're covering, Robin 11, and how uh, the story has progressed so far. Uh, Terrence. Yeah, I agree. Great final shot. Jimenez does a great job on the 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 nasty side of two faces face. Like he really puts a lot of, a lot of detail in the scarring and everything um, throughout the whole book. And I, I like the, the, that's probably why I like this series so much. The, the, the go between, between Dick Grayson and Tim Drake and how they both have that commonality of Bruce and being a Robin together. And they, they're, neither one of them is 100% confident. Like they both have their moments of doubt and they both know each other has their moments of doubt too. And yet they both have their confidence as well. And I like that, like bouncing back and forth. And even at one point, Tim was thinking like, oh man, Dick right now, he's, he's thinking about that confrontation with Two Face. He's thinking about, you know, that first time where, uh, you know, which was referred to in the Zero issue. Uh, I think it's on page 17, the headless Batman page. <laughs> you hear Tim's thoughts on that. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I wish they would do more with that, you know, Tim Drake, Dick Grayson um, dynamic. Unfortunately, it's been kind of replaced with the, the Dick Grayson, Damian Wayne dynamic. But, yeah, overall, I, I, this was a great issue. Ryan. Yeah, like, I, you know, it's – at the beginning of the issue, you know, I was wondering when when they'd finally make their way to confronting Two Face, and we finally get that here. I think it's a it's a very good kind of uh, you know sub midpoint almost to to Prodigal, and Two Face has kind of been a big um, 
part of that. And, you know, what's cool about this is I think – I wonder if Dixon had built up to this or if it's just something that happened organically because, you know, we've had – like we mentioned before, you've had Two-Face uh, have his place in, with Tim in both uh, Lonely Place of Dying and, uh, you know, kind of with with Dick Grayson too that we saw in some of the zero-year uh, stuff. So it's kind of interesting now that we've got this adventure with both – uh, Dick Grayson and Tim Drake confronting Two Face in this kind of story. So yeah, it's it's uh it's pretty cool. Well, let's just continue uh, the Prodigal train right along and move into Batman Five Thirteen. Prodigal Part Four is in Batman Five Thirteen. Cover date December nineteen ninety four. On sale date October eleventh, nineteen ninety four. Cover price is one dollar and fifty cents. The editor is Dennis J O'Neill. The title Double Deuce. Writer Doug Mensch, penciler Mike Gostunovich, inker Romeo Tangal, letter Ken Brzniak, colorist Adrian Roy. Batman and Robin make quick work of Two-Face's gang, but not before Two-Face uses one of the techs at the computer warehouse to shield himself and escapes. Unfortunately, Dick decided to use the Bat Train instead of the Batmobile, and Two-Face is gone when the dynamic duo emerge from the building, and there are no railways where Two-Face is going. Two-Face is planning on using the binary system of computers, ones and zeros, how fitting. With a simple keystroke and the disc he got from the court dockets building, he can now make the same mistake that caused him to be released accidentally by releasing more criminals. Chaos has begun. With that happening, prisoners are being let out of Blackgate and being transported across town in a crowded transport vehicle. The prisoners manage to overtake the guards and hijack the bus and ram it into a casino and start to wreak havoc. Batman and Robin hear about the casino on the scanner and are springing into action. They take down the prisoners inside the casino just as the GCPD enter the building. Gorn is not wanting to trust the new Batman, and a third Batman at that. Dick and Tim in the Batcave figure out that Two-Face is there to destroy the judicial system that failed him, and more importantly, Batman. But this Batman is Dick Grayson, and that's a story all on its own. Um, I'm not entirely sure what to make of this cover. It feels very 1960s Batman. Yeah, it does. With, with the, like, over, like, just having recently watched uh, Batman vs. Two-Face 66 movie, this feels like that Two-Face uh, right there where you would have, you know, a, a 1950s comic book, uh, Batman comic book. This would be a comic book cover of that time, the over-exaggeration where you would go, oh my gosh, how does Two-Face get a hold of a Batman costume and he's cutting it in half? So I thought that was pretty cool. What do you guys think about uh, the cover to 513, Ryan? You know, that's a really good comparison because it makes it instantly makes me think of a like a Carmine Infantino mm, 60s totally. cover. Because of the, and it's partly because of the way the Batman costume is drawn here, and, and because Batman's not in it, they would do that a lot in that kind of era, kind of just kind of do funny things with the costume or the characters to kind of like grab your attention. Um, and this totally hits that mark, and I'm not sure if that's what he was going for, but that's 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 a good observation. Terrence, yeah, pretty cool. Not one of my all time all time favorites, but I, I like it. And it's uh it's done by Manley, which I think he was a regular artist at the the time because now the interior is a guest guest penciler who I've never really heard of. No. And and I, I feel like the art. Well, I mean, no, I know we'll get to it, but I feel like the art takes a big step down from Robin Eleven. Um, but yeah, it's it's good. 
just uh, speaking of the uh, art right here, the first notes that I have, going to this computer hub and there's large stacks of paper. I feel like looking at Rob, we had or Rob and we had these banks of computers, and now that we're standing in, in this area where there's just hundreds and hundreds of you know stacks of uh, paper laying over the place, which does play into the story later where we're finding out that you know the computer systems are so backed up which probably goes into why there's so many clerical errors that Harvey Kent and Harvey Dent were switched to allow a, a, a fudge up to happen but you know I don't know <laughs> I've never been in a place where there's so many perilously stacked pieces of paper it's like the books from Ghostbusters where it's right. like no one would ever stack papers <laughs> this well high. you've never been to Gotham obviously yeah where where anything can Gotham go has wrong. a problem. Yeah, Gotham <laughs> has a problem with uh, paper and why we can't figure out why everybody's getting out here. So, so, hey, did, so you Rob, guys, did you guys um uh point out that uh the whole you know legacy and history of of Harvey Kent as a character? No, that was the one thing that I if you have that information Ryan that would be swell. Well, the Harvey Kent was the was Two Faces original uh, uh, name. You know, it was not Harvey Dent. It was Harvey Kent um, it, when he, he, in his original appearances uh, and, uh, you know, in the 40s or whatever. So, But eventually, they, when it was time to bring the character back, they renamed him Harvey Dent just because they didn't want people to kind of associate the character with Superman's alter ego, Clark Kent. Huh. I didn't know that. Yeah. And now that you say that, I think I remember hearing Hey Kids comics talk about that. But yeah, I, I completely forgot about that until you brought that up. So good, good poll on that one, Ryan. Yeah, and I think his. I think if you look it up, like his Harvey Kent's last appearance was in some sort of uh, issue where he attended some some character's wedding or something like that. Uh, and then and then, but it's in, it's one of those interesting things where like they can use it in continuity as like. Original Earth One, whatever you know, Harvey Two Faces is, is Harvey Kent, and and the interesting thing about him is that in the comics of the time he did get rehabilitated. Harvey Kent was rehabilitated. He mm. he went back to normal, and then you would have a few issues here and there where you would either have uh, an imposter bring Two Face back, or somebody else gets turned into Two Face, and the the question was always, is it the original? Two-Face, is it Harvey Kent Two-Face again, or is it somebody, you know, trying to, you know, frame him or drive him insane or something like that? And they would play with that a little bit. And, you know, what? And what's funny about that is that's something that they use to their advantage in the new uh, 60s Batman versus Two-Face film that just came out. Yeah. Something here that, that I think is, it, Terrence had made it before, where both Robin and Batman are kind of out of their, they're not, they're still unsure of uh, what they're doing at this point. Do you think this is starting to become a little bit of a crutch where we're getting beaten over the head with it just a little bit here where Dick almost acts like, ah, I should have brought the Batmobile instead of the subway rocket that it's just another one of those golly gee, I, I, I can't be the Batman. I should be. Is it supposed to emphasize that he's just dealing with a lot and he's not thinking clear headed or he's not sure of himself. So I don't know whether to be a little disappointed that we have another series of panels of Batman and Robin, like, gee, I'm just, I, I just don't know if I can be the superhero or is it, he's just still not sure of himself and that's causing him to make the mistakes. Uh, Terrence. 
Uh, I didn't even think about it that much. You know, like to me, I just figured we still have three more issues and most of this issue to go with Two-Face. So you can't, you know, catch them here. Right. So you got to got to have some reason. It's like uh, on the CW shows, like you always know the first confrontation, the bad guy's getting away because then the show is over in 20 minutes. Uh, so I did think, you know, a little bit sometimes when you read these these series, you get beaten over a head with the backstory a little bit in the first page or two when you're reading them one after another, because they know that, you know, this was written, written and not, you know, not everybody was read Robin 11 right after. And not everybody read, you know, detective comics or shadow of the bat, um, picking it up on the newsstand. But when you're reading the trade paperback or you have them all, it does feel a little like that. Um, but actually I thought it was kind of cool to have the, um, the bat, rocket what is it a subway rocket sorry. i'm sorry mentioned and, and not forgotten about um yeah all books uh ryan yeah no I'll, I'll i'm right along with that it's cool that they are able to kind of use that because you know i'm obviously a fan of nightfall and <laughs> i like i like that uh they didn't ignore that yeah it, it's just it just helps um sell the believability and and again the continuity of um placing these new characters that are thrust back into the situation being Batman and Robin, and they're getting to use the things that have happened in the previous arcs to their advantage. You know, I, I like that so far this prodigal has been kind of nightfall cleanup. You know, they're dealing with criminals that didn't get dealt with uh, during nightfall, and they're also able to use uh, and inter- use things like the subway rocket and interact with characters um, from that storyline. But, but it's almost like, you know, Robin has to show... Uh, Dick Grayson the ropes because he hasn't been in Gotham for such a long time and he he wasn't exposed to all that. Yeah, definitely. I think that goes into where Dick was saying at one part in the book that uh, I think failures was he was probably being too hard on himself where he mentions Corey, the Teen Titans, the Robin Zero story about almost losing Batman and the the lawyer that was killed and Nightwing too. I don't know if I would consider those failures, but the mantle of Batman is probably so hard for Dick to live up to having been in the shadow so long to now actually be the thing that's casting the shadow. That's got to be a huge burden to bear when probably all the Robins at some point said, I I don't ever want to be Batman or be like that. Now Dick has to be all those things. He probably rivaled again, reeled against that he had to go out on his own to now be standing in the very shadow of the thing that he was probably running from, which is causing him a lot of the uh, grief that he had. Hey, and didn't, wasn't there another issue or something where I forget where we were talking, where it showed like Dick and Bruce um, in Wayne Manor. And then, uh, oh yeah, it was uh shadow of the bat. Number 32. I just found it. We were talking about it last time where they're going, they go into the, uh, the clock going down the stairs. And as they come down the stairs, they're dressed as Batman and Robin. And we had some discussion. And here you can actually see on that page, they're actually taking off their costumes while climbing the stairs. So, yeah. so apparently they do get in and out of costume on the stairs to the Batcave. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, one of the other things here that um, I kind of wanted to uh, point out is um, another underlying story is – uh, Gordon's trust with Batman. Uh, the Azrael Batman is gone, which kind of brought some heartache for Jim Gordon, and now a third uh, Batman, which I, I make mention a little later in one of the other issues, but we'll just address it here. Is this something that Dick should have said to Commissioner Gordon right from the onset of, like, I used to be a former Robin, I'm somebody that you know. Is this causing more uh, pain 
for Commissioner Gordon, or is there just too much going on that Dick just doesn't have the time to have a conversation uh, with Commissioner Gordon, Terrence? Yeah, I don't know. I, I wondered that, like the same reason why I wonder why doesn't Wayne Manor have any glasses and they drink orange juice right out of the container. But um, <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about here. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, no, uh, I, I, I wondered that too, if it would just, it, it would make life so much easier for everybody if he just kind of said, hey, look, man, you know, uh, this is who I am. But then, then again, um, you know, it would take away a lot of the story. You know, if he did that yeah. in panel one, then what would we have for the next nine issues? You know, so <laughs> right. you need some tension and you need some of this. Uh, and even still with the way Gordon has seen all everything go down in Nightfall and seen what happened with Jean-Paul Valley and Bane break Batman's back and everything. I'm not so sure that would be enough or if he would buy it or even believe it. Like anybody could say that, like Jean-Paul could have said, Hey, you know, I'm Jason, you know, so I still think there'd be a lot of doubt and mistrust in Gordon's mind. Uh, Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting that they take this route because they went through a whole, you know, arc of, uh, Gordon being very distrustful of Batman and, you know, but it is pretty honest that, He's, he knows that the previous Batman wasn't the real one, and now he's he's he knows that this one is also still not the real Batman. Um, you know, you would think that Dick Grayson might try a, a little bit harder to kind of make sure that Gordon, you know, doesn't feel this way, just because you know so much has happened, and and Dick Grayson is historically kind of the you know the brighter peacekeeper kind of guy, but maybe you know, like you said, he's he's trying to be batman here and and not robin or nightwing so uh, that might you know and he's obviously very wrapped up in in his own internal questions about whether he can you know take over for bruce and 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 do the job that needs to be done hey and just real quick a lot of the doubt that gordon has he's telling to sarah he's telling to bullock he's not saying to dick as much so dick might not know you know, the right. true depth of right. uh, Gordon's mistrust at this point, because he's, you know, he's, he's just he might think it's just, oh, yeah, it's good old Commissioner Gordon. Um, so, yeah, uh, I like the little vignette we get here, a little bit of a distraction for Batman and Robin with more of the uh, uh, I would say thugs, more of the inmates because of a computer mishap. And there's even a one mention of you know the computer system. Let's not question what the computer's doing. You know, these computers were. Uh, you know, messed with, or people are out, people are coming back in, they don't know who's a criminal, who's not a criminal, so they're funneling every, everybody, you know, to Blackgate, um, and then the bus gets uh, taken over and uh, run into a casino. We have that fight there. Uh, but I want to jump to the very end of the book here, where I think this is a nice little callback to the Robin Zero uh, issue with. Uh, you have a lawyer being hung, and good old Ralphie has just annoyed Two Face one last time. But right. I, don't, I don't know if I thought much of it back when I first read the book. But looking at it now, seeing somebody actually hung uh, in a comic book is a little like I, I just don't know if I just had forgotten about it. But I thought I was more surprised that it's in here. Would we see something like that today of somebody being hung in a comic book? Um, usually if somebody's shot, it's just kind of like off panel or you don't see it, but you're clearly seeing how two face just straight up kills this guy. So um, it's kind of a little jarring way to end uh, the issue here, but what'd you guys think of the uh, end of this uh, book here? Uh, Terrence. 
Yeah, it it leads into Shadow of the Bat 33 pretty well. And uh, what's jarring for me, too, is when Dick takes off the cow and how long Batman's hair is. It, it's weird <laughs> yeah. to see. Right. And what's he doing with that ponytail? ponytail? Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, as I was reading the story and uh, what's the guy's name uh, who gets hung? Uh, is it Ralphie? Um, Ralphie. That's it, Ralphie. I kept, he kept questioning everything Two-Face did. I'm like, you need to shut up or you're going to get killed. And then I said, like, I tried to warn you. Um, but, um, yeah, no, I, I don't think this was too too graphic. I think we would see that in a book today. Um, but um, I guess, you know, I don't know. Current Batman books. You definitely see something like that in, in a Scott Snyder book. Yeah, that is true. Batman's usually bloodied and bleeding from every orifice possible. Yeah. <laughs> Orion. Yeah, well, you know what it made me think of is it made me think right back to the story of uh, what Two-Face did in the encounter with a specific encounter that he was getting brought up between him and Dick Grayson where he had, you know, scales of justice and he was hanging people and he made him kind of decide who to save and stuff. So that's that's what made me think of. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's a nice little homage to because uh, technically, I think we discussed the last time the Robin Zero, the Robin Year One story that Chuck Dixon is going to write has not been written currently at this. If you're back in '94, so this is a story that Dixon was like, "Oh yeah, we did that in the Robin Zero issue. Let's do a real full blown story." So it's a, a weird foreshadowing, like this is going to be a story that we're actually going to cover in a specific, you know, uh, trade coming up. So that's going to wrap it up for this particular issue. Shadow of the Bat 33, cover date December 1994. On sale date October 18th, 1994. The editor is Dennis J. O'Neill. Writer is Alan Grant. Artist is Brett Blevins. Letter is Todd Clean. And the colorist is Adrian Roy. Shadow of the Bat 33. Two Faces learned the location of the inmate that the system mistook for him, Harvey Kent, and is off to right a wrong, or in this case, wrong a wrong. Commissioner Gordon discusses with his wife Sarah about his distrust with this new Batman, and now Sarah says that he should. He thinks only an idiot would trust Batman. Too bad he said this out loud to her. Because of Two-Face's computer savviness, a boatload of inmates, and I mean a boatload of inmates, and prisoners and non-prisoners are being taken to an already full Blackgate prison. They meet with some resistance at the prison, stating that it's too full, both a mixing of new and old prisoners and people that they are not sure are prisoners to an already overcrowded prison system. The prison turns into a riot scene. Batman and Robin hear about the chaos at Blackgate and go to head out, but Tim gets cold feet about gliding out across the bay to Blackgate, so Dick tells Tim to set this one out and Batman goes out alone. This is not the time to be unsure of himself about being Batman. Good for Dick Grayson, on this night he channels his inner Batman and gets Blackgate back under control. Back on the mainland, Harvey Dent comes face to face with Harvey Kent. You see what I did there? Face to face. Harvey Kent, Harvey Dent. Oh, okay. Prodigal Part 6 continues in Batman's Shadow of the Bat. And like we said before, if you're collecting all the covers, you now finally get the other half of (laughs) of 32. It's so weird that, you know, it would have been nice if, you know, I keep all these, you know, this whole story is all collected together in my (laughs) long boxes. You have to jump back a few, four or five issues to actually uh, complete the puzzle. This, I think, art-wise, is my favorite part of this book. Um, I'm trying not to be real, real hard on Blevins here, but I've never been a big fan uh, of his art. And I've always said that I can kind of forgive sloppy writing a little bit if the art is really good. 
but really good writing uh, from uh, Grant here um, makes it's harder to read when the art is not so uh, is not so good. I don't know what you guys thought about Blevins' art through the issue, but it just seems real. It seems really cartoony. You know, it seems funny to say in a book. Did you guys? What do you guys think of uh, Blevins' art here, and then the cover, obviously, uh, Terrence. Yeah, you know, I, I don't mind it so much, but it's not my favorite. It doesn't take me out of the story, but uh, I, there were no moments where I was like, wow, look at that kind of either. So, you know, it gets the job done, but but it's not my favorite. Brian? Um, you know, I first of all, I love Brian Stelfreeze, and his covers for anything that he does are, mm-hmm. are always great. And this is a particularly good two-page spread. You know, it, it like you said, it is interesting reading it in order that you have to go all the way back to Prodigal Number Two or uh, Part Two to get the first cover of this. But, uh, but yeah, I love that these are like back to back. You know, Two Face and has you know batman and robin in it too this is something i picked up on i was like oh alfred is alfred in this issue because mm-hmm. he's on the cover and maybe alfred comes back and i'm like nope <laughs> like i don't even know is alfred mentioned in the in this issue or something no, or not at all I did. is it that, that weird i'm like what a weird thing to put on the cover where he's not really even part of the story and i wonder if it was just solicit the, the not the right word but if they were like okay we need somebody to do this cover for this story here's here are the batman characters we're gonna do half of this half of that and if he thought oh i'll just put alfred on the cover and not knowing that you know he personally he's gone is gone yeah yeah that's true that, that's true it's like well let's just put on the member of the bat family because obviously bruce is gone but what about alfred yeah um but you know blevin's art you know it's i kind of agree with terrence like i it's it's he's not my favorite but it doesn't bother me that much but but I also always instantly pick up that it's Blevins art. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's a very unique style, um, and I always go back and I think about the the Scarecrow arc back in you know Nightfall. And what's interesting is you know he he <laughs> he draws Batman exactly like he would draw Batman then, and I'm like, man, that doesn't really look like what I would think um, Dick Grayson would look like as yeah. Batman, especially when I've seen uh, Blevins Batman previously because it just he just looks the same. Um, so that's that was kind of my big uh, critique of of the art, but uh, there for me there wasn't a whole lot uh, in the story. There was more little character moments, um, and, and I was trying to go back through some issues getting ready for the podcast. Is uh, Sarah is mad at Jim? It, she's mad at one point because I think we didn't mention it in the previous issue where um, Gordon ends up almost inadvertently saying that he. You know, like Sarah turns that around, like, oh, marrying me was a mistake. You know, it was a mistake getting involved in Batman and you used to not like Batman. You know, maybe this whole thing was a mistake. So I'm wondering if she's giving him more of the cold shoulder or if there was something. Is there more to Jim and Sarah's uh, marriage here that I'm I'm quite not remembering? Or is this just more from the conversation that she's like, you basically said you didn't want to be married to me. So I'm going upstairs and I'm sleeping this off. Uh, Terrence? Yeah, I can't remember because it seemed like she's overreacting a bit. And then when you said that in the the email you sent out, I was like, oh, is there something? Was she pregnant? Was there something going on? So I don't remember. I'm just going to have to just keep reading through uh, till it, it it goes on. But they they change her age a lot in the panels. Like sometimes she looks like she's like in her 20s and 30s and 40s. And same thing with Gordon. Sometimes he looks like he's 80 and sometimes he looks like he's <laughs> he's 40. So uh, I don't know if, if if it was a pregnancy or not. But yeah, just so I guess we'll just have to keep reading and find out. Right. Yeah, that's the same thing I was thinking. I was like, 
some of it is a little heavy handed, but I just assumed it was part of the story and it's going to play a bigger factor later on or something. The the last part of this is Batman and Robin getting ready to glide out across of the you know harbor over to to Blackgate and as we're kind of the the running theme of them both just kind of being unsure of themselves where uh, Dick basically says, you know, this is something you can do. I'd hate to have to tell, you know, Bruce that I had way to scrape a, a Robin off the, uh, the, the street again. So Batman uh, goes through all this uh, by himself, leaving Tim back on top of the rooftop. Uh, the fight kind of goes by very quickly. Batman does what Batman's supposed to do. Uh, a Batman that was unsure of himself, seems very sure, is able to get this rallied uh, Blackgate back under control by the time Gordon gets here. And I think the uh, the bigger thing at the very end of this is of Harvey Dent is has now finally captured Harvey Kent and uh, is getting ready to bring on the next... The next part of the chapter, and something I forgot to mention in my notes here, is Troika is mentioned uh, for the first time in this issue, which is going to be uh, the full 100% return of Bruce Wayne. So just those couple little uh, bits you guys want to wrap up this issue with. Terrence. Yeah, you know, I definitely feel like this issue is a bridge to a lot of stuff. It's a bridge to more stuff with the Gordons. It's mm-hmm. a bridge to Troika. Troika. It's a bridge to the next uh, conclusion with Two Face, and even this part um, with uh, Tim not doing the gliding. We were talking about continuity before. I love how this glider is right out of year one. Uh, even mm-hmm. like the little things on the feet and everything. And then Tim not doing it at first. I was like, oh man, how could you do this to Tim? How could they write him like this? And But it is kind of fitting for his character. Like, But what I really like is this plays out later on in After Prodigal in Robin issue 15. Um, he finds himself with Bruce with the same glider uh, and in the same spot. And he does jump this time in fact the the cover of 15 has um, him with the glider so it's definitely a payoff later on uh, if you keep reading Robin in in real time like four months when he actually does do this and does the glider Uh, so it feels really like authentic and and real in that way so uh, overall you know the issue was okay it just it it got us to other places and that was well enough uh, for for what it was I do really like the little beat where um, Dick Grayson puts the batarang on the the Klieg light and puts the a makeshift bat signal up yeah. kind of kind of reminded me of Batman Begins when he did that with you know the gangster's body but but overall you know it, it's kind of a lot of these long story arcs have those middle issues or so where it's kind of not much happens but it, it's taking getting you to somewhere else and and that's kind of like what this was Ryan yeah, you know, what's interesting is because, like you said, you got, it is kind of a bridge, ish, bridge issue for a bunch of other things. And I kind of like that when you're reading a comic and, you, and you're and reading it and there's clearly it's set up for future story arcs. You're like, Two-Face, Two-Face, Two-Face. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, let's have a scene, you know, Wayne Enterprises with meet the Russian guy talking about, you know, it's completely unconnected. But, you know, when you read comics long enough, you kind of know – that it's a plant for the future storyline. And I was something I was interested in was, are we going to see exactly what Bruce was gone doing, you know, when they mm-hmm. picked the storyline back up? And I don't remember how much Troika actually touches on that, but I kind of hope that it does, because I think that's, that would be a missed opportunity if they don't actually tell us what the heck Bruce did when he left to kind of give some more context to that. Um, I think, don't we get a little bit more of that in this story too? Like it kind of, Build up to Troika a little bit. Yeah, uh, I think as slowly. 
yeah, the I think nine and ten I think deal a little bit more uh, as parts of Prodigal. We get a little bit more of a Troika going on there. Yeah. Okay. So exactly. And uh, you know, one last cool thing that I thought happened in the issue was how um, when Batman goes and tries to clean up. Uh, Blackgate, he, he's able to use like a battering and a searchlight to kind of create a bat signal over the whole, you know, prison. I thought that was just kind of a cool visual. Yeah, just going from the previous issue, the 60s thing, I could see an Adam West doing that, or like Terrence said, with the ga- the gangster's yeah. body being draped over the bat signal was a nice little touch that Batman's going to get his signal out there anywhere. All right. Uh, they said it couldn't be done, but the fourth issue today, hope you guys are still listening, <laughs> uh, Detective <laughs> Comics uh, 680, Prodigal Part 7. Detective Comics 680, cover date December 1994, on sale date October 25th, 1994. The editor, Scott Preston. The title, A Twice Told Tale. Writer Chuck Dixon, penciler Lee Weeks, penciler Graham Nolan, inker... Jeff Rubenstein, the letter John Costanza. I want to say George Costanza. Costanza. Okay. Colorist Adrian Roy. The cover credits go to Lee Weeks. Detective Comics 680. On Batman's way back across the mainland, Batman stops a mugging while Two-Face has taken Harvey Kent to Gotham's legal library, which is full of case files. A good place to light a match since Gotham is low-tech with their paperwork. Kent wonders why he's here. Two-Face says, it's fate and closure. He tells Kent that there's only luck and chance, winners and losers, and Batman's death will play a big part in both. At home, Tim is trying to figure out Two-Face's next move and comes up empty, so Tim reaches out to an ally of the Bat family, Oracle. The Gordons are still at odd with each other over Batman. Jim says hiring his wife as the head of major crimes was a mistake. Maybe if he weren't married to her, she wouldn't be second-guessing his actions. Ouch, Jim. That was another sentence you shouldn't have said out loud. Robert and Barbara discuss the possible actions Two-Face could take. Barbara says that Gotham is still in the Dark Ages when it comes to their computer records, and they keep most of it on paper, and he and Batman might check out the court dockets department, and that might be a good place to start. Tim suits up as Robin and is off on the case. Batman aids Bullock in rounding up some more criminals, one of them being the Clue Master, that has been released by computer error thanks to Two-Face. Robin radios Batman on where he's headed out to, but Robin's radio is cut off before he can say much more. Robin wakes up in the courthouse tied to a table next to Harvey Kent, and Two-Face is standing over him saying he's waited a long time to get his revenge on Robin and wonders how many Robins there have been. Robin says, you were like my audition. Two-Face has rigged two heavy stacks of paper, 2,000 pounds to be exact, to drop on Harvey and Robin. Talk about being killed by paperwork. Batman arrives on the scene just as Two-Face is about to cut the rope, holding the papers above Robin and Harvey. Batman knocks the coin out of Two-Face's hand before he can flip it while also killing the lights in the room. Two-Face begins to fire his gun randomly in the warehouse, trying to shoot at Batman but also sets the room ablaze with a heavy shot of bullets and also shoots the ropes holding the two heavy stacks of paper over Robin and Harvey's body. Batman, riding a tow motor now, rescues Robin and Harvey seconds before the paper stacks crush the two gentlemen. Batman knocks Two-Face to the ground and takes him out to the authorities. While most of the building is still ablaze and even though they have captured Two-Face, it still feels like Two-Face might have won. Tim tells Dick that he used his first encounter with Two-Face to get the upper hand on him this time. Dick still wonders, now that he's just getting good at being Batman, 
he knows he's going to have to give it up. This is uh, an, another Lee Weeks uh, issue here, and I was able to meet him at Motor City Comic Con, so I got him to sign this, like I mentioned the last time that we talked about Lee Weeks. He said he loved doing this and uh, had a really good time doing the two uh, prodigal issues that he did, so it's cool to meet him and get him to sign this book. A really cool cover. Um, I like this a lot. Even though this scene does sort of happen in the book, it's played out a little bit differently, but uh, I love anything that uh, Lee Weeks does. What do you guys think of the cover for 680 for Detective Ryan? It's you know it's a kind of a interesting. It, this cover makes me think of the Robin cover where Two Face is like shooting like yeah. into the screen, you know. But it's kind of like you know, whereas the situation in the previous issue was kind of a something fake. This one's supposed to be you know something real in terms of what the story is, and you know it's it's pretty dynamic. You just kind of wonder how they got into the situation, and I and I like seeing you know Batman's cape getting, you know, uh, ripped to shreds with bullets. I just think that's always kind of cool visual. Terrence. Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a pretty classic, cool cover. And then, uh, not to steal your thunder, but when you turn the page, the first panel, and I, I meant to mention this before, is in the beginning of your conversation with Continuity, you see that Gotham Tower that um, is also on the cover of the Stealth Freeze, uh, mm-hmm. Shadow of the Bat we just talked about. In one of the scenes, Two-Face is... Uh, Looking at the city, you see that Gotham Tower, and I believe that was part of the Anton first design of Gotham City, and I like how they keep uh, bringing that that tower back. And uh, I actually liked Lee Weeks' art um, a lot better in this issue than the last issue, and yeah. maybe it's just because of the rat catcher or not. I don't know. <laughs> right. But but I thought – and I liked the, the issue – I liked his art in uh, Detective 679. I wasn't criticizing it. I just think it's even better in this one. Yeah. Uh, and just continuing on with that, the splash page after we get past you know the the glider shot uh, that you were talking about, where you know you flip the book uh, elongated and have Batman this part on fire, and he's I don't know how he got on fire, but uh, you know he's yeah. kicking the the uh, the thugs uh, down here before he has to go take him back off. I think is really really cool. I like every now and then where an artist goes, I'm gonna make you flip the book you know, horizontally or vertically or just kind of uh, where Capula makes you turn it all the way around 360 degrees <laughs> to read something. Yeah. So when you can kind of break the fourth wall in somebody reading a comic book, I think is always a, a nice little uh, touch here. What did you guys think about the splash page? Uh, Ryan? I, I liked it. You know, like you said, you don't – that's something that you don't see a whole lot of. And uh, and it was done really well here, just being able to open a page and just it, – it's it certainly gets you into the story really quickly because it's just a nice big double splash page in a, in a different orientation. And, you know, it's it's just a really cool th- uh, thing that you don't get to see too often. So I, I enjoyed it. Uh, Ryan. Erps, jeez. I'm so happy. I'm <laughs> doing editing big time here, Rob. Um, <laughs> Terrence. <laughs> Yeah, it's great art, and I like it because it's kind of a, a side angle of Batman, which you don't see a lot. You see a lot of him swooping yeah. in front. You see the chest emblem, and th- this was kind of a, a really neat design. Kind of going through here where uh, we're in the Indiana Jones warehouse, but uh, kind of moving up where Two-Face has taken uh, Harvey Kent. And uh, a part that I really want to talk about is Six. Um, I think as far as for us covering, this is the first interaction that Tim is having with uh, Barbara Gordon aside from the uh, zero-hour incident. 
um, where, you know, Batgirl is back and walking and all that stuff. Um, I think it's really kind of cool. And something that I've forgotten about, Tim does not tell Barbara who she is. Barbara only refers to him as Robin. Like, that's a secret that Tim is trying to keep. And I just recently heard Stella on Batgirl to Oracle talk about it, which we'll have to get Stella on this show at some point. Tim is keeping his identity a secret more so for Bruce than he is for uh, Barbara, which I think Barbara probably knows that, okay, I know who Dick Grayson was. I know who Bruce Wayne is. And I know that Bruce has a new uh, kid running around in the <laughs> Wayne Manor. That's got to be Tim Drake, but I like how Barbara doesn't call him out on it. But the thing I like is that the resource that Tim goes to when he can't think of anything, if Tim is the smartest Robin in the room, he goes to the next smartest person being Oracle Barbara Gordon. So what would you guys think of Tim reaching out to uh, Barbara on this page, Ryan? I thought it was a cool interaction, and I had the same thought, too. Like, oh, is this the actual first time we're getting Tim Drake interacting with Barbara Gordon? And, and, and I guess, like you said, it was. And uh, it's and it's cool because it's 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 a really good one page scene you know it's it's exactly the kind of tim drake uh, oracle vibe i i would want to see and you know i also think it's kind of interesting that you know tim is you know going back and forth with two people in wheelchairs like his dad's in a wheelchair and so is oracle i thought that was a kind of an interesting little juxtaposition there you know one person's just like wondering what what he's doing and the other person's like helping him but neither one knows who he is you know like really <laughs> Which is kind of a cool, you know, story thing. Real quick, to get to this scene, this is a much more realistic warehouse with actually shelves and boxes and not just paper paper <laughs> stacked to the ceiling. And then, um, yeah, how would you even find the page you need in that stack? But, but, but anyway, and then I love Harvey Kent, who's just like, uh, I'm wondering, I still don't understand. What exactly am I doing here? I just, <laughs> right. I, I like that here. Uh, the whole thing with Oracle, it's cool, but it makes me kind of mad because I love the character Oracle. I love Oracle a lot more than I love Barbara Gordon Batgirl right now. So I wish we still had Oracle, and I think she was like really an important character to show somebody who's got a disability but is so prominent yeah. in in yeah. the Bat universe, and to have taken her away in the new Fifty Two, it bothers me. And you can't just then like cripple her again and put her back in the chair. So I, you know what I mean. So yeah, it, uh, it, they put they painted themselves in a corner with this, and I uh, it just makes me kind of miss the character of Oracle because I thought she was really awesome. I like how later in the issue this conversation goes both ways, like. You know, you, you follow Tim talking to Barbara, but then you cut to Gordon and what's going on with him. And then, you know, he tries to call Barbara and it like interrupts the scene that you're already trying to read. And and then uh, and then he has to get off the phone and he kind of yells at somebody like, uh, you know, in the police office. And I just think that's kind of a cool uh, and, you know, I don't, I don't see that a whole lot in comics. You know, you just go from scene to scene or whatever. But to see like two people you're already following in the issue and they interact in mid scene in different ways. I thought that was kind of a cool thing. And they're both being interrupted by their fathers. Tim's on the phone with Barbara being interrupted by Jack Drake and Barbara's on the phone with Tim being interrupted by, you know, Gordon and they're both being dismissive of their parents, which, you know, again, this is Chuck Dixon writing this. So, uh, I am not complaining one (laughs) entire bit about this at all. Um, kind of going through uh, uh, the book here uh, a little bit, I kind of want to jump to uh, page uh, 14, um, where Tim gets the information and then is leaping out the window, and Tim is then caught 
uh, off panel by uh, Two Face. I kind of wish we would have had a little bit of like where Tim was going if he was going into a door gets hit over the head. He just kind of wakes up and he's on the table uh, with Harvey Kent. I don't know if that was just Chuck just trying to move the story along, like let's take away a couple pages here and let's get to the to the meat of it. Did that bother you guys at all, or that's just well, that's just what happened to Robin. That's it's not important how he got there. It's just important that he's there. Uh, Ryan, it's it's a shortcut, but it's but it's also done with almost like the knowledge that it is a shortcut. So it just it just works for me, and it and it keeps the story moving. So I had no problems with it. Terrence. Yeah, I kind of liked it. I mean, the the scenes in between um, has really great art. Uh, the rain effects are really cool. You get mm-hmm. Harvey Bullock. We get the Clue Master. We get some really awesome Batman in the rain silhouette scenes, some humor. So because the stuff in between was so good, um, it doesn't really bother me that like the next thing you see, Rob, and he's like trouble. Whoop, and then he's like, he's <laughs> just like the classic 1960s, you know, on the table, him and Harvey Kent, yeah. you know. Uh, so, yeah, I kind of like it. I, I liked it. That's cool. I was wondering. I was wondering. You know, is is the last time we saw Zonk and Clue Master in this same series where where Zonk was like he wanted his own like super criminal persona and he yeah. made something up and is I forgot what that was, but was I'm like Robin. That was back in Robin Five. Yeah. Uh, Do you remember yeah. what he, what he wanted to call himself? Uh, the pu- was it the Puzzler? The, I don't know if it was. No. It was some kind of. Yeah. It wasn't the Puzzler, but it was something like okay. that. Yeah, I'll have and, to. And, I'll have to. But he, yeah, <laughs> that's funny. I'll have to go back he, and find it. Yeah, but he and he kept like giving clues to to people. Um, so <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I it would have been a funny gag like if he was still calling himself whatever he was calling himself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, edit into the show. I found out what Zonk was calling himself. I pulled out the Robin trade. It was just too far away for me to grab it while we were recording. He was referring to himself as. The Baffler. So there you go. That's what Zonk, his, his superhero name was going to be, The Baffler. Okay, back to the show. And then Clue Master has to, to interrupt him and tell him to shut up. <laughs> uh, we get a Lonely Place of Dying reference, which I thought this was really cool of Dixon to do. That Two-Face isn't really sure of, you know, which Robin is it, you know, but uh, Tim points out, uh, you know, that you were my first slam dunk, uh, kind of like an audition, and to this... Uh, gets Two-Face all uh, rallied, or rallied, <laughs> gets him all riled up, and then we have another flashback of, you know, Dick's mishap in uh, the Robin uh, Year One story, or the Robin Zero issue. Again, I think Lee Week's art is fantastic, and two of my favorite pictures, uh, panels out of this book happen on page 16. It's when Batman takes the lights out, and you have this silhouette of Two-Face, and you just see the teeth and the eyes on 16, and then while Batman is going through the warehouse, uh, in the bottom of 16, you just see the uh, bat oval, the green eyes, and just barely the hint of the ears and the mouth as Batman's coming up. That's that's straight up Batman, where whatever Dick was feeling inadequate of being Batman, he's totally being Batman in uh, in these uh, panels right here. I think it's just some, again, some great art by uh, Lee Weeks. What would you guys think of uh, this whole little uh, section here, uh, Terrence? Okay, before Terrence answers really quick, um, I totally missed it in my notes when I did the uh, synopsis for it. I I mentioned uh, the writing credits and pencil credits. Uh, We forgot to mention Graham Nolan is also in this issue, and it was right in my notes as I went back to look through, and I totally missed that, so bad 
bad podcaster, bad podcaster. Uh, I love Graham Nolan's art, so it'll be interesting to go back through this issue again and kind of figure out what was Lee Weeks's art and what was Graham Nolan's. But uh, tip to the hat to both artists that it wasn't so blatantly obvious uh, who who was doing what. So uh, it was nice seamless. And some issues like uh, Metal, where one page is one artist and another page is another artist, uh, these two artists complemented each other. Okay, back to the show. Yeah, you know, I thought it was cool. I, I actually felt like something out of Batman 66 a bit or so it, it, with a little more edge and violence. I like um, how they're doing the thing where Batman and you'll see this a lot in the Robin art when the lights go out, their eyes turn green with some kind of like yeah, night vision. Night vision. Linda's, yeah. Yeah. And um, I like the whole thing with the coin where, you know, Harvey wants to flip it and he knocks it out of the air and Harvey's like, it doesn't doesn't change anything. I can still find it and whatever it says on the floor, which, you know, is is cool. And and um, yeah, like and then you, as you said, Rob, did Batman really win if he burns down the whole building? But, <laughs> right. You know, but he saved their lives. So that's the most important thing. Uh, Ryan. Yeah, I, I like the art too because it just it's it's very dynamic and you just follow the characters. I did notice on my page 19 uh, Two Face's arm is kind of missing. Really, is page, he missing in your pages? Page nineteen, you said. Yeah, Two Face yeah. is holding up his oh, yeah, coin. Oh yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. the his arm is kind of gone. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but story wise, I I I also thought it was interesting how Batman was just like, or Dick Grayson figures out like, you know what? I'm not going to play his game. I'm just going to steamroll right in there. I'm going to fix everything. I'm just going to use brute force, and it actually kind of works this time. Uh, so, you know, at the uh, expense of burning the building down, but I, I did think that was interesting. Uh, ending wise though, I kind of wonder what, what he's getting at. Um, cause I don't think, you know, when Batman says, you know, I'm going to have to give up this up, I kind of wonder what he's getting at here because I don't think they really address that in the next issue No, right away. Which, you know, like Terrence just said, the last comment I had made on our show notes is, does Two-Face still end up winning here? You know, yes, he saves Robin, he saves Harvey Kent, but the whole reason Two-Face was going there to begin with, other than killing Harvey Kent, was to go burn some papers and destroy records. So they, the firefighters make mention that a good right. chunk of the information is gone. So even though Batman saves the day, this is another notch on the belt for Dick Grayson of... You know, Bruce probably would have done this, and there wouldn't have been a spark for Two Face uh, to uh, to start the fire. So I think this is going to carry us into uh, the ultimate uh, confrontation, the final showdown, and then a bigger showdown between Bruce and Dick when Bruce finally comes back of the things that maybe Bruce wasn't doing as Batman, and kind of leaving both these two. Uh, you know, novices uh, out to dry. So, uh, just final thoughts for you guys on this, uh, these four books here, and just kind of uh, what you're looking forward to for uh, the future here, uh, Terrence. Yeah, you know, it was a really good, fun story. There's not like t- too many huge plot holes or, or things that make you go crazy. The art is pretty solid, you know, um, and overall, I really enjoy the whole Dick Grayson as Batman. Uh, take and you know would i've liked it if they did it for 15 years probably not but for you know a really cool story story arc i loved it so yeah this is this is one of my favorites so definitely like ryan yeah you know if if i was picking these issues up as they came out i i would have been really entertained i'm sure just because the story moves along at a good pace and i think it would have probably been one issue per week right yeah because they covered it in different uh titles so yeah i i think 
just keeping that through line going and keeping this two face story active and and seeing how uh, you know two faces affected both Tim Drake and Dick Grayson and seeing how they kind of overcome this part uh, of this story it was uh, it's, it was just really entertaining overall and uh, I like I said I'm interested in seeing how how the story resolves and and how much more of this uh, is going to happen you know if is is Dick Grayson going to be able to reconcile being Batman or is he is he going to feel like it's futile because Bruce is just going to come back later and just kind of take it all away yeah well this is where we're going to put a pin in it uh, really quick Ryan uh, where can people get a hold of you since you've been on uh, three different uh, podcasts today uh, do you want to oh. make mention of what you were doing for the other two uh, podcasts well you can find me on Twitter at SMB underscore Ryan uh, the one of the podcasts I did obviously this weekend was the Batman on Film podcast, and we did a review show for the new Batman versus Two Face film, and uh, and it was uh, me, Bill Ramey, Chris Clow, and Paul Herman. We all talked about th- that new animated film, and it's it's a good film. It was a good podcast, and uh, you can find that you know on Batman on Film and. Uh, and the other podcast I did, I, I I'm not going to say exactly okay. what it is yet, but it's um, it was a discussion related to my Super Mario Brothers the movie uh, archive website. Me and my pal Steven that helps me helps me run that website. We did a a pretty good conversation about our work on that, and uh, that's going to be a podcast that'll be posted sometime in November. So when that goes up, uh, I'll be sure to let everybody know what that is and where you can find it. Cool. And uh, Terrence, if people want to get a hold of you to uh, have you add them into photos with me, uh, where, can, where can they get a hold of you at? Yeah, you know, I think the best thing to do is if you got Facebook, go on Facebook and, and search the, you know, the Robin Everyone Loves the Drake podcast and check us out on Facebook. I think that's where we have the most interaction with yep. the fans. And, and uh, I think there's some people on there who don't listen to the podcast, but are Tim Drake fans and they're still kind of fun to interact with. Uh, and I will... Um, embarrass Rob by putting him in various places and, and posting them on Facebook. My kids kept asking, like, is Rob going to get mad at this? Is Rob going to hate you? And I'm like, nah, Rob's a good sport. Nah. He he knows it's all in fun. So <laughs> so who knows where Rob will turn up next, but it's somewhere on Facebook. So... <laughs> And if you want to find out where I'm at, if you're not uh, on a Twitter at ELTD Podcast, you can find me at DrummerRob10 on Twitter for uh, Where in the World is Rob this week. So on behalf of Ryan and Terrence, this is Rob, and you've been listening to the BatmanUniverse.net, partnered with Batman on Film. You can find more podcasts over there. And more importantly, this is Robin. Everyone loves the Drake. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake podcast. This has been brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. Tim Drake, Robin, and all Batman-related characters are under copyright of DC Comics. This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes, so no infringement is intended by this show. This show is not a good revenue stream. Actually, there's not a stream at all. All music and sound clips are under copyright by their respected copyright holders. So there should be no need to send the Penguin's lawyers after us for ill-gotten gains because... There are none. You can get a hold of the show a few different ways. We are on Twitter at ELTD Podcast. You can also email in at Robin ELTD Podcast at Yahoo.com. Our Facebook page can be found at www.facebook.com slash everyone loves the Drake. And as always, you can message directly over at the BatmanUniverse.net. So email, tweet, or message us. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll read your comments or responses on the show. 
The show you're listening to can be found a few different ways through iTunes and Windows Media, also over at our host, TBU. Leave us a review on iTunes if you listen there. It'll help spread the word of the show. Make sure you head over to the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Thanks for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We'll see you in a few weeks. Take care.